0: Hello, and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights Podcast Series. I'm Craig Balanzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development. And each Friday, we invite our listeners to take 10 and get the latest economic insights from our in-house economics team. And good morning to Dr. Matthew Peter. Matthew, did you manage to
1: back Twilight Payment
0: in the Melbourne Cup?
1: Well, good morning, Craig. No, no, I didn't. I was backing Surprise Baby, which was a bit of a sort of... um, perhaps a sign about what was to come rather than what was going to happen in the Melbourne Cup.
0: I like it. I like it. It was a great race and to lead from practically the start, certainly made it a thrilling race for Twilight Payment. And a little secret, I, I got it in the sweepstakes. So very lucky indeed. Matthew, we're going to focus on the big news of the week. And no, it's not that US election, nor is it the Queensland election, and or dare I say it, the unexpected state of origin result. It's the RBA's monetary policy changes that occurred on Tuesday, and I think it's very fair to say this is a historic outcome. It raises the question of whether we're in a low interest rate environment for a long time, and as one prominent super fund CIO suggested this week, Forever. But before we dive in, we'd be remiss not to recap quickly on that US election. So Matthew, with Biden edging ever closer in that race to 270 electoral college votes, out of all the scenarios you've been analysing over the past week, what's the one you're now calling for?
1: Well, Craig, you're right. Um, the race is obviously very close, and uh, therefore the scenarios have been whittled down to either a Biden win, but without control of the Senate, which was our switch scenario, or a Trump win, but without... Uh, the control of the House of Representatives, which was our status quo scenario. In either scenario, um, economic policy initiatives of, of either president will be constrained by a contested Congress. And Biden placed a
0: huge emphasis in his campaign around foreign policy, Matthew. Given the president's has autonomy over our trade policy, in your opinion, are we going to see a seismic change in what happens with US foreign policy?
1: Well, yes, Craig, that's where we'll see major change occur if um, Biden uh, is successful in winning the presidency. Um, We'll see, before we get directly to trade, what we will see, and it's related to the economy, important for the economy, of course, is we'll see the US uh, sign back up to the Paris Agreement on uh, climate change. And uh, we could see the US rejoin the uh, Iran nuclear deal. That, both of those things will be important, both for the uh, for the renewables sector, for energy, um, you know, and for oil prices, obviously, with the nuclear deal. On foreign trade, where legislation also doesn't have to pass through Congress, I think Biden will work to restore a more harmonious relationship with uh, U.S.'s traditional trade uh, trade allies, and he'll work towards establishing uh, multilateral trading blocks rather than using tariff threats in unilateral trade negotiations, a la the Trump administration. Um, To this end, we will see uh, Biden probably re-engage the US in uh, the World Trade Organization and in the US's blockage of the appointment of uh, WTO chief and their judges. Um, And underlying this is, is a significant uh, or significant ramifications for the US's relationship with China. So while I don't expect Biden to be soft on China, he will take a multilateral approach seeking to unify um, allied trading nations and using the WTO to force China into alignment with fair trade practices rather than going alone and relying on tariff wars, as Trump did.
0: Yeah, we learned earlier in the week, Matthew, as well, that the Chinese currency was probably the only one that moved around quite a little bit in reaction to Biden's uh, potential victory. And of course, I wonder if Twitter will be a little bit of a victim of this outcome as well. You're listening to Craig Balanzuela and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our chief economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is taking us through the current economic foresight shaping your investment outlook. Matthew, let's get back to that historic RBA rates decision and, of course, the associated quantitative easing. Matthew, I'm going to sort of hit you with a couple of rapid-fire questions, if that's okay. How much are they doing? Uh, They're doing $100
1: billion over the next six months. And so why have they chosen that particular amount, Matthew? Well, it turns out $100 billion amounts to about 5% of Australian annual GDP. And Governor Lowe, in answer to a question uh, as to why $100 billion, really cited um, or referred to evidence, research evidence, the QE of at least 5% of GDP had shown had been shown to be a minimum amount that would generate positive economic impacts.
0: Okay, well, so if there's going to be some economic, positive impacts around that QE, how are they going to implement it?
1: Uh, they're going to purchase $5 billion of bonds each week, roughly speaking. They will be purchasing the bonds in the secondary market, not directly from the government. Uh, they'll be purchasing bonds with maturities between five and 10 years, so further out along the yield curve. And they'll buy a total of $80 billion of uh, government, federal government bonds and $20 billion uh, in total of state government bonds.
0: So quite a bit there. So what's the key objective or the outcome that they're targeting here?
1: Well, the RBA is is absolutely focused on employment as its number one objective. They don't have a specific target other than they want to get the unemployment rate down to 5%, but that's sometime uh, off in the future. But they're trying to implement policy to speed that process up. And they hope that QE will stimulate demand in the economy and in so doing, create jobs and limit the rise in the unemployment rate. Uh, And they think that QE works to boost demand uh, through three main channels. First, they hope that lower interest rates will allow federal and state governments to take on more debt to fund more government expenditure. Also, as government, interest rates underpin private sector interest rates. They expect that lower yields will help households and businesses to carry more debt and hence allow more private sector spending. Second, they hope that lower interest rates will slow foreign investor demand for Australian government bonds. This will uh, slow the demand for the Australian dollar and relieve upward pressure on the currency. And a lower currency should boost uh, foreign demand for our exports and increase uh, local demand for our import competing industries. And third, they hope that by driving down yields on bonds, it will lead investors to shift their portfolios into higher uh, alternative yielding assets, uh, thereby driving up asset prices such as equities and property. Now, this makes fundraising easier for businesses um, and reduces the cost of capital to businesses. It also boosts the wealth of asset owners, for example, superannuates, who will see the value of their super going up. So as households see their super accounts grow, this tends to boost consumer confidence, which tends to slow the rate of household saving, which we know is at record high levels at the moment, and increase the rate of household spending.
0: Yeah, good good uh, summary there, Matthew. And of course, equity markets are going pretty well at the moment, so uh, I'm not sure they need more of a boost, but definitely one for those property markets uh, that uh, around the nation have suffered lately. Why is now the right time, in your opinion?
1: Well, um, the RBA felt that while we were in the process of uh, getting COVID under control, Uh, the channels of uh, transmission of QE would be either shut down or very weak. For example, uh, you can lower interest rates, but if the opportunities to spend are limited because shops are shut, then you aren't going to get much stimulus passing through to the economy. So now with uh, COVID seemingly, fingers crossed, under control across Australia and with interstate borders opening, uh, the RBA thinks now is the time to get maximum bang for your QE buck.
0: You're listening to Craig Balanzuela and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is taking us through the current economic foresight shaping your investment outlook. Matthew, MMT was hitting the press a lot at the start of the year. Is this MMT in just another guise?
1: Well, if you recall, the answer I gave to one of your earlier questions about how the RBA will implement QE, I said that they will not be purchasing bonds directly from the government. Now, one of the reasons for this is specifically to avoid the impression that the RBA uh, is funding the deficit. Um, A basic premise of uh, modern monetary theory is that the central bank explicitly funds the deficit. But so what? Is the RBA implicitly funding the deficit is the question. Well, um, yes, it is actually, to the tune of $100 billion over the next six months. If you think about it, though, the budget deficit for this financial year is estimated to be about $214 billion. So is it funding the entirety of the uh, of the deficit? No, it's not. Is it um, funding it explicitly? No, it's not. But Nonetheless, it is buying government bonds, so it is indirectly funding part of the deficit.
0: Yeah, interesting stuff. And for our listeners, modern monetary theory, of course, being MMT. Matthew, are we likely to see a lifetime, in our lifetime that is, of the RBA committing itself to funding these ongoing government deficits?
1: No, um, no. But I don't think that means the RBA will not extend its QE uh, program beyond six months if firstly, the economy isn't picking up, and secondly, if there is still a slope to the yield curve. In other words, if yields on five to 10-year bonds are still no lower than, say, somewhere between 25 and 50 basis points. um, The dilemma for the RBA will be, if indeed the yield curve has flattened and the economy is still in trouble, what do we do next? Um, At that point, the RBA really only has negative interest rates left in its uh, toolkit.
0: Thank you, Matthew, for your insights today. And in summary, under a Biden presidency, foreign policy in the US will significantly change. And obviously that paves a particularly a potentially new road, rather, for that China relationship with the US. And of course, with the RBA moving to the historic low interest rates this week, and of course also adding further quantitative easing, Look out for those signs with regards to employment improvement, demand for Aussie government bonds, uh, a changed currency position, and finally, continued demand for risk assets, particularly our property sector. And is the RBA warming to that monetary theory one to look out for? I'm Craig Balanzuela for QIC's Take 10 podcast, and have a super weekend ahead.